Good morning, everybody. Good morning. good morning. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. 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 I appreciate y'all being here, and I thank everybody coming from SoundCloud, coming from all over the world. I want to welcome you here as well into my home. God bless you. I want to just give thanks to God this morning for bringing us all here and giving me another message this week. And just uh, God is so faithful. He's always just so faithful. Always give me the words that I need to say. Because I'm still, I'm still, I'm not a veteran pastor or anything. And I'm not, I'm not even a veteran speaker. Just, uh, and I've been doing this for just about two years. And I'm just so thankful that God has you know, given me the ability to do this. So you guys want to join me in a word of prayer before we get our service started? And then we'll open up and we'll get going. So Lord, thank you so much for bringing us all here. Thank you so much for this word. Thank you so much for your word, the Bible. Lord God, because, Lord, it is what Peter said of you, Jesus, that you have the words to eternal life. Well, Lord Jesus, your words are in this book. So now, since we don't have your physical, verbal words anymore to hear, because, Lord, you're not speaking really that way much anymore, you know, what we do have your holy written word, the Bible which was a recording of your verbal word when you were here on earth. So I just thank you, Lord God, that now we have this ability to know the truth. Lord Jesus, you said, I, I came that they may know the truth, and the truth shall set them free. So, Lord, we can know the truth in your word. I just pray that we grab hold of it, Lord, today, and we'd listen to it, and that we wouldn't just be hearers of your word only, but we'd be doers of your word. And Lord, just listening intently to the way you want to speak to us, Lord, I pray that you touch each one of our hearts by your Holy Spirit. And I pray, dear God, that you would bless us in, in, in the spiritualness, in, in, a, in a great spiritualness, Lord, that we grow in you today or come to you today, wherever we may be. Lord, we love you and praise you and thank you, Lord. I pray you bless this message, bless my mouth, help me to speak powerfully, Lord, and Everybody that's listening, or ever will listen, Lord, to understand clearly your message today. And just may you be glorified, and may the lost come to you, and may us that are yours draw near and closer unto you. We love you, and we praise you, and we thank you, dear God. May you be glorified in everything I do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So if you guys want to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. We're going to be in verses 13 through 15 today, which I will read after my thoughts from last week. Again, that's Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 through 15. Now, but first, again, like I always do, my thoughts from last week's sermon, are you an Enoch for the kingdom of heaven in spirit? The decision, you know, we talked a lot about what it meant to be a spiritual Enoch for God's kingdom. You know, it meant putting first the things of God, whether you were married or not, over the things, over the relationships of your own, over the things that you do. Well, this decision to live this life like this, with this attitude of I'm going to make the things of God a top priority in my life, above all relationships, above all things, above all my desires, is not an easy one to do. Uh, you're really going to have to train yourself. If this is something that you know, you, you've heard, that's God's will for your life. That's one of the things that God wants for His, those that are His, is for us to be spiritual Enoch. So now that you know it's His, you're really going to have to train yourself and make this way of life habitual. 
okay? How do you make things habitual? Well, you do them over and over and over and over again. You must be diligent. One little website said, one little writing said, they said, doing what is right one or two times or even a few times seldom brings a desired victory. Being consistently diligent, though, doing what you know you need to do over weeks, months, and years is the key to victory. I couldn't have put it better myself, so I just used it. And uh, glory be to God, it was actually the perfect statement for the sermon this week. But again, this takes dedication to start with. I'm going to live this way, and you got to set your face like a flint, which is how Isaiah put it in Isaiah 50, verse 7. He, he epitomizes the idea of how you need to walk into something that you're, that's really important, how you need to walk into something that you really want to do, and how you want to walk into something that you want to make a top priority. He says this, Isaiah 50, verse 7. For the Lord God will help me. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. Or you could say put to shame. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. And I know that I will not be ashamed. What does it mean to set your face like a flint? It means a flint is a type of rock. So when you set your face like a flint, you're setting your face toward the direction you want to go into like a rock. Solid. When you walk into this situation for really anything that you do that's really important, especially something you're doing for God, like becoming a spiritual Enoch, training yourself to be a spiritual Enoch for, for God's kingdom, you need to set your face like a flint, and you need to walk straight ahead, powerfully ahead, and not waver to the left or to the right. Remember, like I said earlier, being a spiritual Enoch for God's kingdom is what he wants for all those that are his. So, again, my challenge to any Christian listening, will you become a spiritual Enoch and make God's things a top priority in your life, even above the things of yourself and your relationships, even above your loved ones? It's a decision that God wants you to make. I pray and hope that every one of you will make that decision this week. Or, if you've already made it, keep going. Continue to set your face like a flint and go forward strong. Praise be to God. All right, on to our new message for this week. Matthew 19, verses 13 through 15. The title for our sermon this week is The Loving, Warm, and Welcoming Aura of Christ. Matthew 19, verses 13 through 15. Let's read them. The Bible says, Then little children were brought to him, that'd be Jesus, that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed from there. So we have to back up last week to its context, and, and actually a couple weeks, I believe, where Jesus just gets done answering the religious leaders on their question about divorce. Remember Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 9. He just gets done then after that, answering that question to the religious leaders about divorce. He, 
then he has to answer the disciples. The disciples come and say, well, Lord, if such is the case, maybe we ought to better not marry. Maybe it's just better not to marry. So he gives an exhortation, talk to disciples about being an Enoch. You know, some are given that, some are not. Only, only to some it's given. Matthew 19, 11 through 12 on marriage. When he jumps in, we jump right into Matthew verse 13, or 19 verse 13, where we read again, just, just a part of it. Little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray. What do we read? In other words, we read some people bring some children and they ask him to pray for them. In, in other words, some more people want something from him. Or you could say others wanted him to do something for them. Jesus was constantly in his ministry, people were bringing people to him so that he could do something for them. This is a very common thing. Remember, even before the religious leaders asked him about divorce, Matthew 19, 2, let's read it, Matthew 19, 2, and great multitudes followed him because they had just come in, they had to, they came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan and great multitudes followed him and he healed them there. So always, often, people were bringing, you know, the sick, the lame, the needy to, to Christ. E even though they were with him then, you know, they got there what they needed and then he'd feed them. They were always, people were always bringing others or people were always coming to Christ. His ministry was full of people always coming to him and making requests of him. And I, I attest that when we see this in Scripture a little bit, this was very tiring for Jesus, okay? Although he was 100% God in the flesh, he was still in the flesh, which meant he was 100% man. And whether he was in the wilderness or whether he was, you know, teaching his disciples in the city or whether he was in a house, wherever he was, people were always finding him and asking him to do something for them. Whether he was in public or in private, people were always coming to him and asking him to do things for them. And no matter what people wanted, if you look throughout all the Gospels, no matter what people came to him with, whether it was healing, whether it was a question from religious leaders about something, even a challenging question, as we just read over, the, the religious leaders challenged him with a question about divorce. What did he do? He always helped them. Remember, I remember some time back when, when some people came to Peter and wanted to know about the temple tax. And of course, Peter goes to Jesus. Peter goes to Jesus. So not only did we even have the people outside coming to Jesus, like the religious leaders, we had those in need, the people of just the public, but then we had his disciples also coming to him often and always asking him to do something for him. He was always, people were always putting constraints on him. No matter where he was, no matter what he was doing, he hardly couldn't get alone by himself and just be by himself or just be with his disciples without people just always coming to him and always, you know, I would say bothering him because that's how I would look at it in a human perspective. I, I need my time alone. But yet Jesus found hard times 
to be getting alone. He was, you know, we, we do read about times that he went up to the mountain and he prayed, prayed all night long. But those times were few and far between because he just really didn't get to do that a lot. He was really, people were coming to him all the time. Which brings us to the reason and the title for our message. Jesus must have had this very loving, warm, and welcoming aura about himself. I mean, just think about it. If he was this grim, kind of sour fella, you know, what do you want? You know, you, you don't want to go to somebody like that. But yet, if he was very warm in his attitude, very loving, very gentle, very kind, very welcoming, then people would have felt like, hey, I can approach that guy. Just think of that boss that you have at work. The opposite of a loving, warm, and friendly, welcoming attitude. You don't want to go up to that guy or that girl. Because you know if you go up to them that they're going to blast you. That they're going to say something derogatory towards you. Or they're going to just be like, you know, they're going to cop an attitude like, this guy again, oh my gosh, what does he want? You know? But if you've got a boss that's kind, that's loving, that's warm, that's friendly, that's welcoming. What are you going to do? You're going to feel like he's approachable. He's going to make himself, or he has made himself then, approachable. This is how I get a picture of Christ, that he was very approachable. Again, very loving, very warm with his attitude, very welcoming. This is the picture that I get of him. If you couple this that... You know, the fact that he always had time for those that came to him. Always. Never turned anybody away. And one of those most popular and powerful sayings of Jesus, Matthew eleven twenty eight, where he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. With the main reason that he came to earth in the first place, Matthew eighteen eleven, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. And just... Like I said, his whole life, his whole ministry of just helping people and people would come to him and he always helped them. He never turned anybody away. We definitely get this beautiful picture in scripture of this very loving, warm and welcoming personality that he had. You know, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, come to me. So you would just picture this guy of, I could just go to him with anything. I could tell him anything. I can lay any burden that I have in his hands and he'll he'll help me through it. But guess what? We're going to talk about this a little later. God's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So that means that Jesus is still very loving, warm, and welcoming to this day. You see, so we can still today go to him and he still, so if you feel like, this is the point I want to get across this first little section. If you're feeling like, like when you're going in prayer and you're going to prayer in God, and your feelings, you know, because we all have feelings. We're very physical beings. The Bible says we're spiritual beings. We have a, you know, a spirit and a soul. But then we also have, you know, we're also very physical beings. Okay? Well, when we go to God in prayer sometimes, me, I, this happens to me often, and we go and we, we lay down before the Lord or we get on our knees or we sit in a chair and we start talking to him and our feelings tell us he's a million miles away. Where is God? I, I, I can't feel him. I, I don't sense him. Where, where is he? Well, know that that's just your feelings. That's not God. That's 
not Jesus Christ. And in fact, that's probably more your feelings or the devil seeing that you're about to start praying and him sending his demons, the fallen, the fallen angels, to come to you and try to distract you. Because here, and in Scripture, God's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Hebrews, I believe it's 13a. Then we know God is always loving, warm, and welcoming to us when we come to talk to him. Just like he was in Scripture, just like we read throughout all of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So when we come to God in prayer today, we need to have this idea in our minds, wait a minute, and we feel any other way than loved, a warm, you know, just warmth and welcoming, just welcomed, we know that that's not God. We know that that's either ourselves and our own feelings, which are not spiritual, or that's the devil trying to distract us. Because Jesus was and still is very loving, warm, and welcoming toward all those who came to him. He had this aura about him. And I can tell you this right now. Nobody outdoes God in the category of love and compassion. Nobody. Nobody will ever love you more than God does, or God ever will. Nobody can ever love you more than he has and that he will and that he ever will, period. So unfortunately, do we see this same attitude from his disciples here? Look at verse three, the 13, the end of 13. But the disciples rebuked them. Now there's that flesh. There's that humanness right there. There's that humanness that we have that we're like, ah. They rebuked the people that came. Greek word for rebuke is epitomeo, defined as to tax with fault, to rape, to chide, to rebuke, to rebuke. To reprove, excuse me, or to censor severely, or to admonish or charge sharply. So they were like, this is not like just, hey guys, he, he doesn't want to be bothered right now. This, no, 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 no. When you read the disciples rebuke the people that came to Jesus with the little children, they were like, no, he cannot see you. No, leave right now. They were not nice at all. In fact, they weren't just. You know, they, they, were, they were the exact opposite of Christ with his loving, warm, and welcoming aura. They were just the opposite. They were rude. They were unloving. And they were like a stone wall. Like, no, he cannot be bothered. What, what are you doing here? How did, and then if you think of a rebuke to admonish or charge sharply, that would be like, what are you doing here? This, he is talking with us. They were very rude to the people. Like, can you leave? Can you leave? There was no, there was no niceties. There was no, they were, they were charged sharply to leave. No, you cannot be here. Leave. Go away right now. Bye. You know, what are you doing? And so they were very rude. They were the exact opposite of Christ's aura. And this is not the only time that they were like this with those in need that came to Jesus. Matthew 15, 32 and 33. 
Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me for three days and they have nothing to eat. This is in one of the feedings of the thousands. Christ had all these thousands of people around him and he was feeding them and he was taking care of them and he was pouring out his love in a physical way toward these thousands of people that were all around him. So he calls his disciples and he says, hey, I have compassion on them. They're hungry. So that's his loving, warm, welcoming aura that he's trying to pass off to the disciples. Hey, this is what I want to do for these guys. I, I, we need to feed them, guys. That's what he was really saying. We need to feed them. They're hungry and they've been with me three days. You know, they've been suffering here with me for three days and we're not eating. And I do not want to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. What was the disciples' attitude? Verse 33. Then his disciples said to him, Where could we get enough uh, bread in the wilderness to feed such a great multitude? All, this attitude of, Hey, Jesus, we don't got enough food to feed these people. Just get rid of them. You know what? Just send them away. That actually, in another, either a parallel or another section, they do say, Just send them away. And Jesus, I don't want to do that. They just had this very unloving, uncaring attitude toward people. Remember the Syrophoenician woman that with the demon-possessed daughter that came to Jesus in Matthew 15, 21-23. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan, Syrophoenician woman, came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And we'll talk about that in a moment. And his disciples came to him and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. Now, although Jesus didn't say any words to her, he wasn't being unloving or, un, you know, or, or not warm or not you know, welcoming. Really, in a sense, remember, he wasn't sent. We talked about this in one of my sermons. He wasn't sent to anybody but the Jewish people, but the children of Israel. So the problem here was is she was not a Jewish person and she wanted something from Jesus. And he had every right not to give to her because he was a prophet. He was the Messiah to the Jews. But even though he, he didn't say anything, she came to him two or three times, and he did buckle. He eventually healed this woman's daughter, even though he didn't have to. By the law that he was sent to do, he was only sent to the Jews. He didn't have to, yet he did, because of his love and his warmth and his kindness and his welcomingness toward all those that were coming to him. And, of course, her faith. And the last one to look at, Luke 9, 51 through 56, we see it again. Now it came to pass, this is, uh, this is how the disciples handled some rejection. Jesus was always getting rejected, okay? But how did the disciples handle rejection? Because all Jesus said to do, if you're rejected, he said, still go. But if you're rejected, just walk out of the city, knock the dust off your feet, and then just go away. Well, how did the disciples handle rejection? Luke 9, 51 through 56. Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, meaning he was about to die, be crucified, and be raised again, then he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him, because his face was set, you could say set like flint for the journey to Jerusalem. So in a sense... The disciples go to this Samaritan village, but it wasn't meant for him to stay there. 
It was God's will for him not to stay there because he was about to go to Jerusalem and be killed and crucified and raised again. Okay, something he had to do. So in order for that to happen, God's purpose to happen, this inconvenient thing had to happen to Jesus and his disciples. They were rejected. Really, they weren't rejected. Jesus was rejected in this town. So what happens? What do we see the reaction from the disciples on this rejection of Jesus? And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, I believe those were the two guys that went, that, that they said, no, we won't keep you or Jesus or whatever they said. They said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? Do you see the heart? They were like, how dare they reject you, Jesus? How dare they reject us? Let us call down fire, Lord. Let us destroy them. Oh, they can't reject you. How dare they? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. So he was, in a sense, when we read that definition of rebuke, he charged them sharply. He rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. So even when he had to reprove or rebuke sharply, and be, you'd say, sharp or rough with the disciples, in a sense, unloving, really, just like as a parent has to discipline their child, when a parent is disciplining their child, they're not being ugly or evil. They're being sharp, and they're rebuking sharply in a loving way because they love them and they care about them. Just like here, Jesus had to reprove them or rebuke them because they weren't realizing that the spirit, that the ideas that they were having about these people there, that they just wanted to destroy them, weren't of God. They were of the devil. You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For I did not come to destroy people. I did not come to kill people. I came to save them. So the heart of the disciples and the heart of Christ, we see there a sharp contrast in the way that they treated others. Okay, Their attitudes towards people was Jesus, again, had this very loving, warm, welcoming, come-to-me attitude while the disciples were, Get man, cast down, call down fire, Lord. Let us call down fire. Who cares? They rejected you. They can't do that. Destroy them all. So they just, it's such a sharp contrast. It, I, it almost makes me wonder, you know, how, how or why Jesus, you know, kept putting up with it. I mean, if, if I were him, I would have had to go to the side and say, hey, look, guys, we got to love these people, man. I came to love. You guys just can't be so rude and so mean and, and so evil with people, you know. And, and just FYI, for your information, if you are a Christian, end of this little second section we got here, if you are a Christian and you were wanting to know how to treat people, and love people. You need to look at the Gospels. You need to look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and look how Jesus Christ treated and acted towards people for your example on how to follow that example, you know, on your example of how you ought to live. Please don't look at how you're to treat other people to the disciples, okay? Because if we look at the disciples and we think, well, they were Christians, you know, I mean, after all, they were following Jesus. I mean, after all, I can look at the disciples and see how I ought to treat people. You're going to be sorely, sorely, sorely off the mark. Because, again, they rebuked people. They were unloving a lot. They were unkind. We don't see them getting any real lovingness or, you know, loving kindness or gentleness or welcomeness or warmingness until we look 
after they get saved. We, once they get saved, then they start, you know, like the book of Acts, where you see all the disciples and how they're acting toward people. And you see all the epistles, you know, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, you know, Galatians, Romans, Ephesians. Then you really start to see love from the disciples towards people. After Jesus breathed the breath of life into them in the end of John or first part of Acts, then we see that their whole attitude after they experience the risen Christ, after they're born again, then we start to see the love that they had, that Jesus had for people pushed off on them. It's almost like, you know, God had to, they had to get, they had to receive God's love in an intimate way through that spiritual rebirth in order for them to love people like he did. And it's very true for us today. We cannot really love people the way God loved people unless we, A, study how he did it, and B, allow his love to fill us first. Then we can go out and love others the way he did. And today in our scripture, we see another example of his loving, warm, and welcoming aura with the children that were brought to him. Go to 14 and 15 one more time real quick. So, to their rebuke, Jesus combats their rebuke and says, he doesn't rebuke them this time, he just says, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them. So he gives them a command there. Notice he commanded them, do not forbid them to come to me. So don't do that. So in a sense, although he didn't rebuke them, like little children, he commanded them with a command, do not do that. Let them Come to me. And look what he says. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them. And then he departed from there. So what's his attitude? What's his loving, warm, and welcoming aura bring here again? He receives the children with open arms. He brings them all in. I could see Jesus with the, this picture I give him in the scripture. He's sitting down. I could see him taking little Johnny and you know, little Isaiah, little Ezekiel, you know, because these are little Jewish boys or little Jewish girls. And so they would have had little Jewish names, you know, and he's sitting there on the ground and he would have been putting them on their lap, on his lap, you know, bringing them into his bosom, wrapping his arms around them. And then as they were all quiet and still, hey guys, still quiet, hey quiet, laying his hands, Lord, I pray for little Isaiah, Lord, I pray for little Ezekiel, Lord, I pray for little Sarah, a little little, you know, Elijah or whatever, you know, it starts praying for each one of them and just this kind, loving aura and this welcomingness, and this, you know, and especially with children, okay? Any adult that's listening to this message knows that, you know, children could be a handful. And then the scripture says that children were brought to him. You know, children, they get a little crazy. You know, the children, they were probably running around all day, so they probably weren't even very clean, you know, dusting their feet, sweaty bodies. And here Jesus, I could just see him, though, putting them on his lap, praying for each one of them. I mean, it's just his love just had no bounds. His love is and was then very extravagant. And he proved it with his actions. Because real love, remember, we, we're all about this here. We're all about this here. I preach this all the time, and I live this myself. The Bible says action is a verb, not just a word. So action is, so love, it has to be an action. Remember, Christ not only showed his love for people by taking them in, praying for them, healing them, giving, what they, you know, giving them things that they needed, but Romans 5, 7, and 8. 
For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Remember the greatest sacrifice that he made. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone we even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So remember, Christ showed us the greatest sacrifice of love, the greatest action of love, by dying for evil people. He died for these same disciples that just rebuked the people and rebuked the children for coming to Jesus. He died for these people that weren't nice for us. We are unkind. The disciples are really just a picture of all of us. I mean, they were real men, of course. But if you look at the disciples and you look at us in, in the physicalness, we're a lot like the disciples were, especially if we're not saved. And even after we get saved, We've got to kind of almost learn from God. We've got to be discipled in how to love others. Just like, you know, the disciples did. Though they watched Jesus through his three and a half years of ministry. So he died not for good people, not for great people, not for upstanding citizens, but for evil, wicked sinners, which the Bible says are all of us. His greatest demonstration of love. But... Although I'd love to just talk about the love of Christ for the rest of the message, or let, maybe that be the end, there's more here than just the warming, loving, welcoming attitude of Christ that we need to look at in this section of Scripture. Jesus tells us yet again who the kingdom of heaven is for. Did you see that in verse 14? Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of of heaven. He tells us again that the kingdom of heaven is only for little children. Now wait a minute. Wow. Is he saying here that all adults, all teenagers, all elderly cannot enter the kingdom of heaven? Because if that's what he's saying, that would kind of make a big problem for anybody that's not a little child. I mean, anybody that doesn't die as a little child and anybody that's in their teens or 20s or 30s on up, then we're in big trouble if that's really what Jesus was saying. You know, we're, we've got some problems because then, I, hey, well then I'm going to go out and start, you know, like little children being happy when they die because they're going to go to heaven, right? I mean, is that what he's really saying? Is he really saying that only literally little children go to heaven when they die? No, he's not saying that, of course. That'd be, that'd be terrible, right? The majority of the world, the majority of people in the world would be dying and going to hell. I mean, no matter what they were, any, anything other than a little child, that'd be it, right? As soon as you made it out a little child, you'd be thinking, man, if that was the truth, you'd be thinking, well, man, well, I didn't die as a little child. Well, I, wow, I guess I'm destined for hell. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm 13 years old. I'm not a little child anymore. I guess that's it. I'm on my way to hell, right? But that, of course, is not what he was saying. He didn't say that, little, that the kingdom of heaven was only for little children if they were to die as little children. He's speaking on the same idea that he did when, he, when his disciples came to him and asked him a question in Matthew 18, 1 through 3, where he said again, or I should say before, at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Remember, they had that question. They were disputing amongst themselves which one of them would be the greatest. They were being prideful, you know, arrogant again. Which one of us is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? We, we want to know. I want to be greatest. No, I don't want to be greatest. You know, they were bickering amongst, 
on another like little children, but they weren't little children, just in immaturity. And Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you could say in attitude and in mindset, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. I covered these verses in depth in my sermon titled, The Requirements for Us to Enter Heaven. So it's easy to see, we can't take it out of context, it's easy to see that Jesus was not saying that unless we died as little children, we could not enter the kingdom of heaven. Like you could really say, just take it out of context, Matthew 19, 14. But you can see that he is saying that we need to be converted and become as little children to get to heaven. So what does it mean again to be converted and become as little children? Well, you have to go through a conversion process. You as an adult to get to the kingdom of heaven, just like in Matthew 18, it's like Jesus is alluding to Matthew 19, we have to go through a conversion process, a changing process, and become like little children in our attitudes, in our hearts, in our minds, and in our ways. In essence, you could say it like this. Again, I spoke about this in my other sermon. This is a little recap of my other sermon, but it's new for anybody that's listening now. Repentance from being in control of your own life and doing things your way and trusting in yourself. Because, you know, little children, they don't trust in themselves. Little children put all their trust in those that are raising them and those that are taking care of them. Little children have no clue. When they, I'm a school bus driver for one of my jobs, and I pick up kids in my school bus, and they have no, they don't even care. They get on the bus. They don't think I'm getting in, get to an accident. They don't think I'm ever going to do anything wrong. They just think I'm getting on the bus, and I'm, I'm at school. They don't think all the dangers that are from their house to the school because they don't worry. They have no worries. They're not trusting in me. They're not trusting in themselves. They just have this, I'm just going to be at school. And in essence of turning to God and Christ, placing your life in his hands, and depending on, relying on, and totally putting your trust in him. This is what it means to become like a child in your faith, in your attitude, in your ways before God. Uh, you know, and become, it, it's, it's putting your total trust in him and becoming towards God as a little children is with their parents or their teacher or their instructor, or a friendly neighbor that they've never even, oh, just that's my neighbor, oh, just, just my neighbor John, or whatever. Okay? That's what it is in essence. And it, but it is a pretty intense procedure. Because, you know, when you think about, I'm not going to trust in me anymore. I'm not going to trust in my ways anymore. But I'm going to totally trust in God. And then, of course, coming to God... And this is like a little child. A little child has to obey their parents. Then there's obedience in there. A child comes and a child knows no other than I need to obey my parents or else I'll be disciplined. So there's obedience and then there's trust. Jesus puts it like this in a sense outside of this, you know, human understanding of what it means to be converted and become as a little child. Matthew 16, 24 and 25 where Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take himself off the throne of his own life. He's not going to trust in himself anymore. He's not going to do his own thing anymore. He's not going to be the God of his life anymore. He's going to be converted and become like a little child is with his with their parents. Let him deny himself, 
take up his cross, you know, meaning I'm going to put to death the deeds of the flesh. I'm not going to live for myself in sin anymore. And then follow me, he says. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. That's, this is the conversion process in the spiritual way Jesus is telling us here. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Remember, I'm going to lose my life to God. I'm going to totally put my trust in God. I'm going to become toward God as a little child is toward their parent. I'm not going to have a care in the world. God, you're all that matters to me. Remember, a little child, all they care, their whole world is their parents. Their whole world is just their, just their little friends or their, their, you know, their teachers. They don't even think about, you know, their whole world is is at home and trusting in parents and then trusting in their home and it all kind of goes out from there. Living for all, being obedient to their parents. And this is what it's like to be converted and turn to God, to lose your physical life, to lose your way. I don't live my way anymore. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to decide to live for His way. It's really a total surrender unto God. But there's also a very important point. We won't read any more in our scripture. We'll, we'll 13, 14, 15, that was it. But there is something important here that we can't afford to pass up. It's very, very, very important. Taking Matthew 18, where he initially speaks about this, and taking Matthew 19, where he speaks to us again about being converted and becoming like little children. It's a very important point we can't pass up. Notice. Chapter 18, chapter 19, Jesus speaks about the same topic. Jesus just repeated himself here on the topic of little children or those converted to be like little children being the only ones that can enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, notice that's a pretty, pretty short amount of time. From 18 to 19, may have not even been a week. Jesus brings up this same topic. Again, a second time in about a week or so's time, a very short time period. Was this by coincidence or was this by design? Well, I don't think that Jesus or God ever wasted their words in life. I don't, God doesn't waste his words now. God didn't waste his words then. I think Jesus said everything that he said for a reason. They didn't waste their words. We say a lot of things where we waste our words, don't we? We we speak a lot of haphazard, you know, haphazardliness. You know, we just we'll just say something out there just to be nice, or we'll just throw something out there just to say something to, as an answer or something. We a lot of times I don't even think and I'll answer, which is wrong. I know it's wrong, and I I, I need to stop doing that. But God, He didn't just say things just because. I believe there's no coincidence here. I believe that this is by design that God allowed this to happen. So what is Jesus saying here to us? And, you know, what is the Bible saying to us? What is God saying to us here by Jesus repeating himself here like this in just a short amount of time? Well, think about it. What does it mean when anybody repeats themselves on any subject, even now, to you? Let's say, you know, like uh, I'm a parent. And I have a boss. And if I'm, you know, as I'm a parent and, <clears throat> and my child, and if I repeat something to him more than one time, 
Hey, make sure you get up in the morning. When we get up in the morning, you do this, this, and that. Okay, hey, buddy, did you hear me? Make sure when you get up in the morning, you do this, 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 and that. Okay, remember, I'm, I don't want to have to remind you again. Whenever we're doing that, whenever we're repeating ourselves more than one time on any given subject, or our boss is repeating to us anything more and more or over and over repeatedly, what does that show us? It shows us that whatever we're being told or whatever we're saying is what? That it's important. In fact, the more you repeat yourself, the more important whatever you're saying is, whether, you know, if it's something that's very important to you or whether it's something that's very important to the person that you're telling for safety or because, you know, whatever reason for, you know, something you need done, but it's nevertheless, it's for importance. Well, again, nothing by accident here, all by design. Jesus brings this subject up twice in a short amount of time. Because of the same reason. This subject to God is very near and dear to his heart. Jesus repeated himself so that we would get the importance of the fact that we need to be converted and become his little children because he wants us to go to heaven. He just said right here in verse 14 that for us such is the kingdom of heaven. You have to be converted and become as a little child in order to get to heaven. There's no ifs, ands, buts about it. And he wanted to let us know this, important, you know, the importance of this by repeating himself here so that we would get the idea of, wait a minute, I have to become as a little child? God was, always wants us to think. He's trying to make us think. Hey, dude. Hey, my child. Hey, my son. You've got to become converted and become as a little child. You need to know this. Listen up. It's like God's yelling here to us from Scripture and saying, Hey, guys, girls, children, boys, girls, all, you must be converted and become as a little child in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. What is God's main will and main desire again? Yeah, I, I repeat this all the time here at Gospel Saving Church. What is his main desire and what is his will? 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, but that all should come to have eternal life, you could say. This is God's heart. Jesus is yelling to us, from scripture you must be converted and become as a little child in order to get to heaven he says it twice it's important to god that you go to heaven but even in this even in this scripture jesus even shows us his loving warm and welcoming aura in the fact that he repeated this truth to us twice he could have just said it once flippantly and then never said it again but the fact that he brought it up twice means that it's doubly important. And that is showing us, again, his loving, warm, and welcoming aura. Come to me. Come to me, guys. Come to me. I love you. I, I want you to know how to be saved. I want you to know how to get to heaven. Praise God for his loving, warm, and welcoming aura in his presence and his personality. Amen? Praise God.
not considering the loving, warm, and welcoming aura that he had, that he showed us, that he repeatedly showed the people back then in his day. Okay? And the fact that we know that God and Christ are the same because they don't change, Hebrews 13, 8, means that Jesus Christ still has a very loving, warm, and welcoming aura for all mankind today, this very day. We've already talked about that. So since his love is amazing, and he still has very loving, warm and welcoming a very loving, warm and welcoming aura about him, and he made time to help and save those that came to him then in his day, he's done his part, hadn't he? You can't say right now, God could have done more. Jesus, you know, if he, if he just would have lived a, a few more years on this earth, then maybe, you know, no, you can never say those words. God did, and he is still doing, because he is still loving, warm, and welcoming toward anybody that comes to him. He's doing and has done his part. Okay? Can't ask any more from him. But there is a question for us today. Since we know God's done his part, and God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, so he's always going to be the same, loving, warm, welcoming. What's our side? Do we have our side down? Do we, have we done what needs to be done in order to do what he said needs to be done? It's not enough now that we know the facts of how loving, how warm, and how welcoming that Jesus Christ was and is. It's not enough. Just knowing a truth. I have this saying God gave me years ago. Wisdom not applied is foolishness. Wisdom not applied is foolishness. So we can't just know this truth and these truths about God and about Jesus Christ. We have to act on them. Have you come to him? Have you let him convert you so that you've become like a little child? And are you sticking with him? through thick and thin, through tough and rough times? And are you continuing to let him convert you so that you become more and more like a child every day? Because when you initially get converted, and I can testify to this in my 15 years of being a Christian, okay, or 14 or 15, once I'm close to 15, I notice that the more and more and more I live, the more and more and more I become like him, the more and more and more I become more loving like him, the more and more and more and more I trust in him for everything. So I actually became like a little child 14 or 15 years ago, and I actually have become more like a little child the more I've lived for Christ, even though it's been hard, even though it's been tough. But have you? Have you come to him and have you let him convert you? Or in other words, as Jesus said to them all, remember on a daily basis, then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, Luke 9, 23 and 24, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So have you guys taken up that charge? Have you guys, think about each one of yourselves. Have I, have I, have I, have I done what needs to be done in order to get to heaven? Have I surrendered to God? 
Have I lost my life on this earth, the one that I own, the one that I control, the one that's mine, the one that God gave me? Have I lost it so that God could save it? Or is it still mine? Am I still trusting in me? Am I still doing whatever I want to do? Am I still living like I want to live? And then you'll lose your life for eternity. You have to decide. You have to think about these things. If it was important enough for Jesus in Scripture to say this twice, then he wants you right now to think, where am I at? Am I converted? Have I become as a little child? Or am I just doing my own thing and living my own life? And just, you know, am I going to lose my life when I die? Because he's very clear. Unless we are converted and become as a little child, we shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, if you sit there and you think, well, I don't know. I'm just not sure, Pastor Ed. I, I, you know, I, in fact, I don't think so. I want you to consider his loving, warm, and welcoming aura that he has towards you that we talked about earlier. If you're going to God or if you're trying to go to God in prayer and you're asking Him to save you and you're asking Him to take your life and you feel distant, well then just know that that's not, not of God. That's of your flesh or, or that's of the devil. Because He wants to save you. He wants to redeem you. He wants to convert you and become a little child. But you have to go to Him and you have to surrender and you have to become like a little child to Him like a little child is with their parents. Giving Him your life daily. Surrendering to Him daily. Listening and obeying Him daily. And trusting Him no matter what. With everything in your life. Every single day of your life. He gave His life as a ransom for you. So that you could have peace now. And everlasting life forever. Will you take it? Or will you let his words fall to the ground in vain? Because God wants you to take it. God wants you to receive that. God wants you to grab hold of it. And hold on to him. Grab hold of his waist. And just hold on for all eternity and never let go. Will you do that? Will you do that? Or will his words just fall to the ground in vain? God loves you very much. But you must be converted and become as a little child in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. Please surrender today if you haven't already. Please come to God and just fall down on your knees in prayer and just cry out to him, God save me. I want to become like a little child. I want to be converted and become as a little child. I want to be with you and I want to go to heaven. And I want to, I want to do what you said that I needed to do. I love you God and I praise you God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much, Lord God, for this beautiful day. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for your mercy, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that in Scripture you made it very clear the things that were important to you and the things that were important to us, Lord God. And you repeated yourself often on many issues, but none more than the issues of you want people to be converted and you want people to get saved. I just pray, dear God, that everybody listening wherever they may be, however young or old, whether man or woman, whether child or adult, whatever, I pray that you would draw them to you, Lord God, by your words, by your Holy Spirit. 
and that they would, listening to this, fall down on their face right now, cry out to you and ask you and plead with you, just please convert me. I want to be saved. I want to be converted. I want to be as a little child. I want to have you. I want to know you, and I want to go to heaven when I die. I pray that you'd help them with that, Lord God. Please, dear God, save all those listening to this message. I love you, and I praise you, and I thank you, Lord. And also, Lord, for all of us that are yours already, help us to become more like little children the longer we're alive. Help us to continue to trust in you through thick and thin, through tough and rough times. Help us to continue to fall down on our faces, even when we're in doubt on things, and say, God, save me. Convert me some more. Please, God, convert me some more. I want to trust in you more. Help me, Jesus. Help me. And Lord, we know that your word says that you're very loving, warm, and welcoming. And Lord, let us take you at your word and cry out to you and know that you're there for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God. Everyone, it's Pastor Ed here. and Thank you so much for listening to the message. It's my prayer that you were encouraged and challenged with what you heard today to be a doer of God's word and not a hearer only. Because your life will soon be passed and only what you've done for Jesus Christ will last. If you live in the Dallas, Texas area, we want to invite you to come to our little house church here in McKinney, Texas. Sunday mornings, our service is at 1015 and the directions can be found on our website. Also, if you have any prayer requests or questions, or maybe you believe God has called you to support this church financially, please go to gospelsavingchurch.com and click on the appropriate links. I would love to hear from you personally. God loves you very much. Please love Him back by the way you live your life. God bless you, and have a wonderful day.